or more possibly true this way. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of give full disclosure and say there is no verse that says, thus says the Lord, you need to become a member. There isn't one. However, that's on one side of, of the ledger. On the other side of the ledger, there are lots of verses, and you'll see them on the back of your bulletin, that if membership were not a real thing, if membership were not a real thing, if there was no definable local church membership, then there would be a lot of verses that would be minimized or denied. And that's in your, your outlet, or in your, not your outlet, your bulletin there with the outline. The, number two, it says, several New Testament passages will be considered, each revealing something that would be minimized or denied if there was no definable uh, local church membership. Now, I remember this fairly vividly because I was paying attention at the time, but when we started on this whole journey with the board, and I asked the board right at the very beginning, do you, does this church, because I firmly believe this is your church, it's not my church. It is mine in a sense that I'm an attendee, but it isn't my church because I'm the pastor. There's a difference. It's your church, and I can give spiritual and doctrinal guidance, and I'm happy to do that. But I said to the board and those that were in attendance, do you want membership? And initially they went, well, because I was paying attention. I thought, I wonder, wonder what this church wants. They said, well, no, we, 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 don't, we don't want membership. I said, okay, it's fine. What we need to know is what are we going to have so that when we want to vote for a pastor, we want to vote for changes, we want to vote for anything, or we want to do anything, how are we going to define what that group is. I just want, if you don't want membership, that's fine. How are we going to define how that group is? And it took three weeks, and they went away and said, well, we got to think about that. Something? Think about that. So they came back, and three weeks they went, I don't, I don't see a way around membership. He says, are you sure? He says, we don't see a way around it. We have to have a means to define a group. I says, well, that's what I think. But you need to come to that conclusion that if you don't have membership, how do you define how do you do business? Now, I can give you a scenario, and you say, well, that's never happened. That's not the question. Could it happen? So let's say I'm going to be voted on as a pastor, and I get all my relatives to come in here one Sunday. And we say, okay, we're going to vote. And I say, all of you have been schooled out there, and you're going to vote for me, and they do. You say, well, that would never happen. Could it happen? So if it could happen, we need to make allowances for that so that you as a church are the ones that are voting for or against something. And I contend that membership is the way that you do that. But I'm gonna, it isn't, again, my opinion or your opinion is what does the Bible say? And there are, there are some people that view membership like, which version of the Bible should we use? You want to use the NIV, that's fine. You want to use the American Standard Version. You want to use whatever version, it's fine. Whatever you want to use, it's, it's personal preference. Is that true? They look at membership like vote or not vote in an election. Did you vote in the last election? Some of you probably did. Some of you went, ah, I never really got around to it. It's just a preference. They look at membership like, well, I'm a vegetarian and you're not a vegetarian. It really doesn't matter a whole lot. 
you can kind of do what you want. You can kind of pick and choose. Or you could just say that it's simply a matter of preference. I just, I just don't feel like it. So this is what I want you to do. Again, this, this kind of this courtroom scene is I'm going to be giving you biblical evidence. And again, just because I'm talking up here does not mean that what I'm saying is right. What does the Bible say? And if we get all done with this, and, the, and you look at it and you go, well, yeah, he's got a lot of good reasons, but I'm not going to do it. Whoa, you're not offending me. What does the Bible say? And you can, in essence, look God in the eye and say, yeah, he's got a good point there, but God, I ain't going to do it. Because that is what you're really doing. You're not just saying to me or to anybody around here, you say, yeah, God, I understand your word. I understand it's kind of, it kind of points that way, but you know what? I ain't going to do it. That's a problem that you're going to have to deal with in the future. Some think that membership is just an unnecessary formality. Some are against it. Some are for it. Maybe, and this is a real possibility, maybe you were a member of a church sometime in the past, and frankly, you got burned. And you said, nope, I'm not doing that again. I am not going to set myself up for that again. I am not asking you to set yourself up for anything. I'm saying, what? does the Bible say? So we're going to be going through some of that. <clears throat> there was a guy that I used to work with by the name of Rob Badley, and I like to give credit where credit is due. Rob made a statement to me that I thought was profound enough. I wrote it down, and I'm going to regurgitate it to you. <clears throat> he said, usually the best biblical interpretation of a passage is one that answers the most questions while at the same time causing the fewest problems. That is usually the best answer to a passage. So if you want to talk about what is the meaning of Revelation, or you want to talk about this, or you want to talk about that, does it take the whole of Scripture into an account, and does it violate other parts of Scripture with your interpretation? So the best biblical in interpretation is usually the one that answers the most questions while at the same time causing the fewest problems. So we're going we're gonna to kind of go on this. We're going to look at biblical evidence for church membership. And in your bulletin, I hope you got a handout called the One Anothering. And I am not going to go over that because it's long. But there are 58 different one anothering commands in Scripture where love one another, serve one another, devoted to one another, da-da-da-da-da, on and on and on. Now, I would contend to you, who is one another? You say, well, it's Christians of all times. It's Christians, all the Christians in, in Whatcom County, in the state of Washington, and, and the United States. No, that's not practical, because I want you to go to number four at the bottom of your sheet. It says, these commands imply the need for selectivity. There are neither time nor resources to treat everyone like this. We have to be selective about the people with whom we are going to work in fulfilling these commands. It is just not possible to say, well, we're going to do this with everybody. No, actually you're not. You only have enough time and resources to do this to a select group, to one another, be devoted to, and love one another with a, with a growing relationship on, of a defined group. So you can read this at your leisure. I did not want to go over it because obviously it would take way too long. So you have that that you can go through. The second one. 
is membership ensures that those who do ministry are true believers. Membership ensures that those who do ministry are true believers. They're wholly and fully committed to their work and the church, and they work in accordance with the church's philosophy of ministry and doctrinal conviction. We want people that are members. It's, frankly, it's a screening device. You're not just going to let anybody in here. I'll give you an example. Sal and I went to a church here in the county years ago, years and years ago, and it was, it was the passage in Hebrews 1. It was so profound, I still remember it over two decades later. Hebrews 1, it says, in verse 3, it says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Remember I told you at the beginning, that I know my way around okay with doctrine and theology. Decorations? Not so much. Doctrine and theology, I'm okay. So we go to this class. And there's probably, what's up, 60 people in this class? There's a bunch of people. And we'll call, the, we'll call the teacher Jim. And Jim is up there, and he's teaching on this very class. There, there's the very subject, Hebrews 1. And he says, yes, Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God the Father. He is exactly like him. He is the radiance of God's glory, but he is not God. And I'm going, mm. he didn't just say that. And he goes on, he says, yes, it's like, it's like you have... Uh, a coin here with, with a, a head of some president on it, and you go to, let's say, a piece of paper, and you make the exact representation of the piece of paper. He says, you have the exact representation, but it's not worth anything, see, because this is the real thing, and this is not the real thing. And I'm going, we have heresy. This is heresy. We can't be talking like this is bad. And I, and, and I kind of went, you know, I have, I have a problem with that. You know, the exact representation. You can read, you can read it yourself. It says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And even if we were to quibble about that passage, which I think is really clear, Jesus Christ was the satisfaction for our sin. He turned away the wrath of God. He was the propitiation, the satisfaction for God's wrath. And if he isn't God, then his sacrifice is flawed. And we, of all people, are to be most pitied because our destiny is assured, we're condemned, we're doomed. So what he was teaching, everything, the whole gospel hung on what he was saying, and he was not going to be moved. I don't know if he was a member or not, but that is what membership does, is it screens to a degree stuff like this, so you're frankly not being taught heresy, because that's what it is. So I'm... I'm I went to Sal, and I said, we are so out of here. And she goes, no, 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 they need you here. I go, oh. that's another way to look at it. All right, hadn't thought of that. <laughs> so, uh, membership ensures that those who do ministry are true believers, and I would encourage you to look up those verses. I've got a whole bunch of verses after each of these points, and you can look them up on your own. Uh, there is, I can, I can, I'll just make one, one example. If you, certification is a huge thing in the United States. I don't care if it's a pastor where you need to graduate from seminary and they say, well, you're, are you ordained? You go, well, no, I'm not ordained. Well, got to be ordained. You, know, you got to have certification. If you're going to go to a doctor, you say, well, are you board, board certified? Well, I'm this close, but I'm not quite board certified. Are you going to go to him or her? You say, hm, forget it. I'm not going, why? It's just a piece of paper. What's the big deal? It's, they would say that with membership, they'd go, it's just a piece of paper. 
What's the big deal? It says something. It says something about your desire to cast your lot with this church. And I'm going I'm to give you, I'm going to jump way ahead to the end, just so you have an idea, because I'm going to give you literal numbers. I asked Jenny, which is another way of really graciously saying if there's a problem with these numbers, it's not me. No, I think we talked about it. <clears throat> there are people associated, attached to this church, after the whole dust-up, the amount of people that are attached to this church are 56. Of those 56, 40 are members. There are 11 of those, of those uh, 40 who are just unable to attend. They're infirmed. They're just, they're just, they can't come. Okay? They just can't be here. Which means there are 16 out of the 56, 16 that are non-members. And you'll be happy to know, I don't know who they are. And I don't care. That's not, that's not for me to corner somebody and say that they need to do it. There's 16 out of 56 associated with this church that are not members. The rest of you are. But I think a message like this gives you some foundation to operate from on whether you're happy you remember or whether you can you know, say this is a good thing. But now we're going to go continue on on the, on the outline. Number three, shepherds are required to care for their flock. Okay, who is the flock? Who's the flock? If, if, if you have a church like this, I'm, you say that the shepherd of the sheep, so to speak, this is the, the vernacular, the phraseology used in Scripture, if you were to take a bigger church, and maybe in, the, in years past, this church has had elders, and the elders are to care for their flock. Who are they? Well, it's just everybody. No, we're back to resources again. It can't be just everybody. You have Acts 20. It says, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. He's made you overseer of a defined group. 1 Peter 5, I exhort the elders among you to shepherd the flock. And then it goes on and says, not domineering over those in your charge. Those in your charge. That is a defined group of people. So who are they? What, how are we going to define them? So again, like I said to the board, if you don't like the word membership, what do you got? What defines this group? One more. Uh, Galatians 6. See then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Okay, that was the, the third point, and you can, you can go over those if you wish to, to look at them closer. Number four, Christians are required to submit to their leaders. In order for a person to submit to the leadership of the church, there must be some kind of expressed willingness or agreement or commitment that the person's willing to submit. So you say, we're just going to take anybody that, that, that's in the audience, they're going to submit to the leaders until submission is required, they go, eh, I'm out of here, I'm out, I'm not putting up with this. See what I mean? Is there's nothing that says we're joining or we're voluntarily putting ourselves under the authority of, well, I don't care if it's the pastor or the board or leadership or however you want to describe that, is if, there, if, if, if there's going to be such a thing as leaders, then who are the leaders leading? And it is very, it doesn't, fit well with scripture to just say everybody 
it's just anybody that, 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 that wants to follow because that doesn't fit well with Scripture. So we go back again. What did, what did Pastor Rob say? Usually the best biblical interpretation of a passage is one that answers the most questions while at the same time causing the fewest problems. There are problems that remain if we deny membership. It answers a whole lot of biblical problems if we affirm membership. It just answers a whole lot of problems, but it leaves a lot of problems just hanging there if you deny that membership exists. We can go, uh, without this expressed agreement, which I would call membership, what is it that the New Testament is returning, referring to when we must submit to a particular or specific group of leaders? Hebrews 13 says, obey your leaders and submit to them. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you. Okay? So there are several, and we can even, even look at 1 Timothy 5, it says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, and then it goes on. If we downplay the importance of membership, it is difficult to see how we can take these commands to submit and to lead seriously or practically. So if we take membership out, how do, we, how do these verses work? How do you, how do you utilize them? How do you do that? If there's no such thing as membership, how do you obey your leaders and submit to them? How are you have people over you? How do the elders rule well if there's no definable group? The next one, the metaphor of the body. And you're probably all familiar with that. It says, for as, we, for as in one body we all have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. You probably heard that about, you know, the hand and the feet and the ear. We all are a member of one body. But there's something unnatural about this teaching of one body attaching himself to the body of believers and not being a member. So I'm a, I'm a hand or I'm a finger or I'm an ear or, or whatever but I'm not a member of that body. How does that work? I mean, it's a very unclear explanation of the passage. Then again, if you have the image of a body with a hand and fingers and legs, and, and we're all members of that body, and you are a member of this fellowship, that tends to make perfect sense. Well, yeah, that works. That is a good interpretation of Scripture that does not cause problems with other passages of scripture. We can go on. The church is to discipline its members. Very clear, Matthew 18. We are to discipline its members. The church appears to be the final court of appeal in matters of church authority, and it's related to membership. Matthew 18 says, especially verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So if you have a, what I would call a member, if they do certain things, they are to be referred to the church, uh, to the church leadership for discipline. But if you don't have membership, 
if there has not been a willingness to submit or to put yourself under the leadership of the church, then how in the world would that work? How, how do you explain this Matthew 18 passage? If there's no church membership, how can you define the group that will take up this sensitive and weighty matter of exhorting the unrepentant person and finally rendering a judgment about his standing in the community? Surely the church is a definable group. Surely. And one last one. I know I went through these fast, but uh, they're the passages you can look up on your own if you want to study them further. Excommunication exists in Scripture. You look at 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12 and on, excommunication exists. So you have to take a step back and go, if membership is not a real issue, then you are excommunicated from what? I mean, if we're just all just here, and whoever comes, comes, and whoever doesn't come, comes, and we're just kind of a fluid group, then how can you possibly have excommunication because nobody's joined anything? So, if you look at the first Corinthians passage, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. So in this passage, there is an in-the-church group, and there is an outside-the-church group. Being in the church is definable. Church membership is implied by the simple fact that excommunication exists. Now, we'll go back to our courtroom scene. And I, many, many, many times, I have had to testify and say things that helped the defendant. Okay, they did. You can't, you can't be a witness and testify and everything you say is going to condemn the witness because that's just not real, real life. That's, there's certain things that happen. You say, yeah, they, they did this or they abstained from doing that. So I started this message by saying there is... No verse that says, thus says the Lord, you will be a member. There isn't such a thing. However, I've given you numerous verses that if membership doesn't exist, I would like to have a doctrinal and theologically sound answer on what they are referring to, because I have no idea what that would be if membership does not exist. So, we got done with the message. We laid it out there. People, people are, are chewing on this or they're considering it. And I, I, have to, I have to kind of say it this way. Is if the argument by God's grace has been persuasive, then I would hope that you'd become a member. It isn't so that we can swell our ranks. That's not the point. The whole thing has to do with being obedient. And if you believe that Scripture does not speak to being obedient and being a member, then again, I would really like to hear that explanation. And the explanation cannot be, well, I just don't feel like it. That does not explain scripture. That's just a personal perspective. You have to be able to explain and expound on scripture and say, what does this verse or verses mean now to us? And if membership's taken out of the loop, I really like to hear that explanation because I have no idea how you can do that. But nevertheless, I, it is, I will freely say it is not a salvation issue. 
It is not like if these are the elect that are members and these are the non-elect. No. This is a balancing of Scripture in its totality and trying to be obedient to what God says in this passage happens to be membership. Other passages, we're talking about all kinds of things. In Beatitudes, we're talking about a host of things. And it is, again, again, exhorting, urging people to look at what Scripture says and be obedient to what Scripture says and, frankly, leave me out of the equation. Because I am not the reason why you should do membership or why you shouldn't do membership. It is a rendering of what God says in his word. He is the great shepherd. And I'll leave you with this one point. Is whenever you, you probably had weddings in this church. And weddings are a really big deal. And, and I've had the privilege of walking two daughters down the aisle. And I've said to both of them, right before we're ready to walk down there, I said, just so you know, nobody's looking at me. I mean, I could, I could have my barn clothes on and nobody even see it. They're, they're all looking at her, which is fine. It's the way it should be. So the groom is like an afterthought. He walks through the door. You know, they got a little bit of, you know, side music playing. And he comes walking in here. Nobody even sees the groom, okay? He just kind of waltzes in. And then everybody stands and they, they admire the, the, the bride, which is great. But did you know that in the, the last marriage supper of the Lamb, it's exactly the opposite. The person that is going to be front and center is going to be the groom, Jesus Christ. He is going to be what it is all about. And the church, we are the bride of Christ. So don't flip your nose at the church and say, yeah, I don't have to. It's just the church. I can attend if I want to. I can do it. Christ shed his blood for the church. He will defend the church. Jesus Christ is zealous for the church. That is his bride. And he will defend the church. He loves the church. He adores the church. And scripture, by inference, is saying, join the bride of Christ. God loves it. He loves that church. It isn't just an organization that you are casting your lot with. You are, in essence, saying, I respect the bride of Christ so much. Jesus Christ did so much for the bride of Christ. I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that whole thing. And if you look at Revelations 19, it is a big deal. Is Jesus Christ will be all there is and all eyes will be on him, not on the bride. The bride will be looking at Jesus Christ and being thankful for what he did for the church. So, I will leave that with you. Paul, come on up here. He has a copy of the currently passed membership statement.